Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Let's go back to 2011 with Squidge. Let's look at the World Cup again with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective Podcast, the Rugby Podcast. You just said that correctly in one go. I know. We also, I want to make it clear that we are the only rugby podcast now. Yeah, um, we are the only one. There yeah. are. And we're also a film podcast. There are no others. The only one of them. They don't. Yeah, there's loads of film podcasts though, but we're the yeah. only one that is a rugby podcast as well. Yeah. There's loads, there's loads of other podcasts. There's none about rugby. Yeah. So I just want to make that clear right at the beginning. We're the only podcast That's about rugby. That's why... Of course, when you search for this podcast on our podcast or whatever, wherever you find your podcasts, yeah. you have you find it under the rugby category rather yes. than films, because that's really populated. Yeah. I know we talk about films, but because we put it under rugby, we're always number one, because we're yeah. the only one. Uh, so joining me for the One Rugby Podcast is, as ever, Will Owen. Hello. Hello. And here to talk more about Friends with Benefits, presumably, our resident expert on flags and or stats and Mila Kunis, Sam Lana. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me. I'm. Uh, uh, I was a little bit uh, shocked when you introduced us as a rugby podcast. I I couldn't quite see how things with benefits was going to fit into that, but um, I'm glad you saved it there with my introduction. <laughs> so, have you since we last checked in watched the film Friends with Benefits, starring Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis? You know, it would be poetically beautiful beautiful if I had, but I have not. Oh, man. I believe it's gone off Netflix. Oh, oh no way. Should we all have like a group watch of it sometime? I, I think that sure. would be best. Yeah. yeah. What's the most boring game uh, in the rest of the 2011, 2015 or 2019 World Cup? Can we just replace that with... Mm, that's a good question. Robbie, any mean, thoughts? I mean, I mean, we already did England-Argentina. You know, we already had yeah, you there Scotland-Georgia... Scotland George has been covered. Yeah, Cammy was exceptional in you know, there's no one you'd want more to talk about Scotland being boring than Cammy Black. But yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know what I mean, the next game is South Africa eighty seven, Namibia nil, which isn't much of a contest. Yeah. That was well, that was similar thing um in twenty nineteen as well, wasn't mm. it? I think mm. that was uh, that was pretty yeah. down. I remember what was the one played after the typhoon? Um was it Ireland Russia? I remember that being exceptional. Ireland Russia was Oh not, no 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 was... that was that was a Romeo Geisen masterclass. That was incredible. Oh god we, it... I haven't talked about the Romeo Geisen <laughs> Yeah yeah we need to catch up man. <laughs> ha, ha. Romeo Geisen, still the best ten in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, not a lot of rugby's been played recently, but he's been Romeo playing. Geisen's he's been playing team. every week in the Russian league. Oh, has he? Yeah, yeah. I watched I him play. He's start yeah. watching that more. He's 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 still doing his thing. By his thing, I mean cross kicks every single face. <laughs> the quarterback of the uh, of the rugby world. I, I'm yeah. I didn't know he was playing in uh, Russia at the moment. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm check him out. I believe he's the third top scorer in the league to date. Oh. Which is a thing I know off the top. Why do I know that? Yeah, you know, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you um, what a dog is, but I could tell you who the third top scorer in the Russian league at the minute is. 
slightly offensive comparing the male geising to a to a dog. I'm not I'm not comparing it to a dog. I'm just saying I don't know what dogs are. Um I've been wondering for ages. Like I saw one in a cafe today and I was like, is that a dog or is that a cheese sandwich? I think if Romeo Geisen had a dog, I think he would get a lot of exercise from how He's... far Geisen would be kicking the balls yeah. for him to chase. He'd just be chasing, he'd be chucking tennis balls into really inconvenient his... places. Yeah, with his just... two legs in the air as he boots it away, as he jumps. He'd be throwing the tennis ball deliberately into trees so his dog could fetch it. His dog yeah. can learn practical skills. He'd do, he'd do a quadruple pirouette before he throws the frisbee for his dog to chase. It'd be glorious. <laughs> During rugby training, where some, your coach would kick the ball, you'd all go and run around getting whoever was last would pick up the ball and put it back to the coach, and then you'd kick it again, and you'd all run around getting whoever was last would pick up the ball, and you just do that until the coach decided not to. Bill Dyson was your coach. <laughs> I bet he invented that drill. Athletics team do. <laughs> It's such a that I don't know where that was going to go. I was just going to link it back to Romeo Geisen because he's 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 a wonderful man. Also, I love the fact that a man with his hairline is playing fly half. Oh, I know. It's such a hawker's hairline, isn't it? Yeah, it's that man has no no business being you know not like under thirty five and playing fly half in international rugby. No, no, and he looks like he's about five pounds away from playing number eight as well. Mm. Like. He's but he's portly rather than well built. Yeah, like he's he's had a few too many Sunday dinners. Yeah, yeah. He's a very old looking man. I mean, you know, fair play to him for pulling off. I think he pulls off the look. Definitely. At the risk of just derailing this even further, um, I am going to try and find a. Oh, here he is. Here he is. How do I? I can put this into the Zoom can. I think. I'm sharing just for the for everyone at home. I'm sharing. No, I'm not. Okay, I'm sharing <laughs> to a, a a Russian cyclist, and I want you okay. to click on that link. And without looking at his age, which is admittedly quite prominent <laughs> on that page, it's right. <laughs> yeah, all that man might Jesus be. Jesus Christ, that's Alexander Yanushkin. <laughs> he he looks thirty eight. Would have been my guess had I not known. I would I would guess thirty nine. Yes. So, for the purpose of, of this, he's a guy called Dmitry Strakov, S T R A K H O O V. He is twenty five. Um, <laughs> this is something that will not work on a. On a <laughs> no, no. We'll attach he's it to like, Twitter or something. He's the same age as me. <laughs> yeah. So he no, he's a he's just under a month older than me. Right. It's just under a month. I'm going to look like that. <laughs> Well, he looked. If you click on the picture, you can mm. see that what he looked like uh, three years ago, when he was, by maths, twenty-two. And if anything, he looks older than he looks. Yeah, now. yeah. He he's somehow aged back. You know, he. Have you seen any of the um, what we do in the shadows TV series? Uh, a couple of episodes. Yeah. He looks a bit like Colin the Energy Vampire. See, he looks like an incredible. No, he looks like a very boring man. Is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, he he does look like a boring man. Like he he will talk to you at length about the kind kind of printer jet you need in the printer copy of the paper that's needed in the the thing. I don't listen, so I don't actually know those details. He probably his favorite TV show is Golden Balls, and he constantly tells you he thinks it should come back. Yes, oh he's I mean you know fair fair play to him and the meal guys. Think that they they're doing what yeah. they can with what they've got. 
but they're it's unfortunate. <laughs> right. Okay. We're going to mention the game now. The match of today's podcast focus is actually a genuinely good game. So if people remember, when Sam was on last, we covered England v Argentina, which is one of the most Sorry boring rugby matches that, of all Sam. time. Yeah. Uh, so we figured we'll get you a match that is not only far more entertaining as a rugby match, but includes two far more exciting flags. So it's Tonga against Japan. Yes. Can I briefly... I, d- I don't want to. I really don't want to derail this podcast. But can I briefly talk about rugby please, and a little please. bit about tactics? Ooh, please, please, please. Uh, I I was watching this game and we we spoke a little bit about this before that I actually can't remember this game from mm. when live. Um, but watching this back, you can see the, the like the green shoots of Japanese yeah. rugby's progression at this point. And I encourage everyone to watch this game because it is. It is yeah. Game. And the full game's on YouTube as well. It's uploaded yeah. in two parts. So it's yeah. not even like you've got to click through eight videos in order to, you know, that stop and one of them's missing. With English commentary as well. It's yes. not in check this time. So <laughs> Yes. Although one try is missing. The Yeah. Yeah. Mario Polo try is missing. Yeah. But then the full replay shows it from about where the coverage cuts out. Yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't know what happens there. Yeah. But the so Japan Basically, the, the thing that stops them from being what they're like in 2015 and mm. more so in 2019 is their accuracy is really poor. Yes. So yeah. they try and play out of their own 22 twice that I can remember. And both the first time leads kind of indirectly to a try. And the second time is in the second half where the, um, the outside centre, Alisi Tupalaya, he flings a kind of a, a not particularly good pass. At, yeah. At Engo, the winger, and it, it just gets knocked on. But they're they're trying to do what they end up doing in 2015, 2019, but it's just it's just not working. Yeah. Um, but what I thought was really interesting, um, rather than just the fact that they're more accurate now, is you can see that they're playing like a normal rugby team, like hmm. they're doing similar stuff to what a normal rugby team would do. So they're going, they're attacking the same direction. They're playing with pod systems. They're playing like. Um, you know, a tang drift pop pass back inside, and all yeah. these kind of things. That yeah. From teams, and then in 2015, and definitely in 2019, they clearly just go, "Well, the best we can be is quite a good rugby team doing this. Let's yeah. let's completely trash that and be something completely different. And actually, see how good we can be." Yeah. This is There's... my big pet peeve that I've talked about quite a lot: is teams that are po- that appoint, especially tier two nations, they often appoint someone on the strength of their CV rather than what they're going to bring to it. Yeah. Um, so the thing that Japan got really right in hiring Eddie Jones and then um, Jamie Joseph is that they were coaches who built a game plan around the players in front of them. Um, and that's yeah. very much Eddie Jones's thing. Like every team he plays with plays incredibly differently, but that's the thing that unites them is that they all play yeah. like like you'd expect that nation to. You know, so his Japan team were kind of quick. His Australian team were very sort of well organized backs, and his England team, um, you know, obviously largely forward based, but with this real cohesion throughout the entire side. Um, yeah. And it's not—it's harsh to say they're forward best. They were in the first eighteen months he was in charge. Yeah, yeah. And then I thought Uruguay got this right in hiring Esteban Menezes because he very much built it. He went right. What can I work yeah. on? What have I got? I've got a team that works hard. Let's build an entire game plan around that. And those yeah. are the teams that work best, and those are the coaches that work best. And it's matching the style of rugby to the players you've got available. Because as a tier two country, 
you don't have the option to try and blood through and bring through different players. You're you're given a squad of maybe thirty five players who are capable of playing at it test intensity, if that, and you've got to try and get the most out of them, you know. And that's what tier two coaching is about. It's a very different sport to club coaching and to coaching tier one nations. Yeah, the principal example of that, not a tier two nation, but is Razi Erasmus with the yes, Springboks side. Yes, absolutely. He very much got yeah. the best out of like that massive pack he had and a good ball handling backline who could yeah. kick the leather off the ball. It perfectly suited this shithouse Munster coach, you know, who's been milling about for the last couple of years. But to build on Sam's point a minute ago, mm. that I similarly don't remember anything about this game. I'm not mm. entirely sure if I watched it at the time, so I don't remember anything about that. But you're right that that Japanese. There were shades of 2015 and 2019 in there. There was one point in particular when they're playing out the 22, and they had Ryan Nicholas run a hard line off nine, and Shota Horia was the man who caught it out the back. And yeah. playing that sort of a shape wasn't really a thing in 2011, especially with your hooker as the first receiver. And the, th- the one thing with this Japanese team is that I feel like their playbook wasn't big enough, and therefore there was no room for them to improvise, yeah. which meant that, you know, on probably eight attacks on each half, Arledge and Nicholas were just doing a straight switch off first phase. <laughs> Because they didn't simply have enough that they could do that they could revolve different moves around and make more stuff on the, on the spot, which they would be able to now. And so, yeah. I think a really interesting point as well on Japan is that I think rugby has caught up with what suits Japanese rugby. Yeah. In that you look, you go back to like the 80s and you watch Japan scoring tries, and it's all set piece based, and they do a lot of running really interesting, complicated moves that are pre rehearsed. And that's what they kind of turned into. Only it wasn't just pre-rehearsed moves. Every single phase they kind of had a plan for. Um, And it was so structured and organized. And it felt like a new way to play rugby. You know, it felt like they took a handful of ideas that people had had used before. And they transformed it into this incredible new thing that works so efficiently. And Ireland and Scotland had no real way of dealing with it. And the Springboks only did because they were were exactly what we're saying. They were so good at... the staples of rugby, you know, traditionally. And Japan kind of always looked a bit like that. Yeah, and rugby itself has turned into a a very kind of organised and structured game. And yeah. so hence why analysis is far more important now. And hence why, you know, the, every position is kind of homogenized. Homo- yeah. yeah. Um, unifying, it's such a, yeah. It's such an um, imperative yeah. thing that every team knows exactly what they're doing several phases down the line. Yeah. Whereas this Japanese team with... Tanaka playing nine with Hawasa coming off the bench. Like every time they were getting such quick ball, mm. and they had the exact same problem in the France game earlier in the tournament. That when it got to second or third phase, they'd kind of think, "Oh no, what do we do with this now? We've not yeah. planned for retaining the ball for this many phases." You know? Yeah. I, I the thing that I really enjoy seeing now, kind of looking back at, at how it's all evolved, was. I still picked out, maybe there's a little bit of bias in terms of knowing that these guys went on to be really good players, but straight to they had one of uh, absolutely awesome game. Like yeah. his ball handling skills were so clearly above everyone else in the pack. Yeah. Then you had Luke Thompson, who was uh, fantastic in the line out, um, yeah. kind of skilled opposition line out, doing his job. And then you had Leach, who looking a lot younger than he looked. Yeah. And just those three were the backbones of the forward pack in 2015 and in 2019. Mm. And you can see that they are, you know, maybe not so much Thompson, but they're kind of like a step above just in terms of the skill level is so much higher than the rest of the forwards. So I want to pick up on this. This is a point I've got jotted down that I want to talk about because I think Luke Thompson is going to go down as one of the most underrated players of all time. 
Absolutely. And people will look at him as, you know, an Australian who couldn't hack it for Australia. So he went over to Japan. Or they'll look at, you know, Japan only picked him because he was tall and he was a good lineup operator. And people won't realise that actually, I don't think another player, well, the only other player who has transitioned and shown the growth and change in the second row position as precisely between 2007 and 2019 is Alan Wynne-Jones. I think Luke Thompson is second only to Alan Wynne-Jones in that. Uh, I think he's an absolutely phenomenal player and he's adapted and changed his game as he went. And he was pretty much the model of what you'd want a second row to be in each era. Admittedly, he was a bit slow in 2019. He wasn't as pacey as perhaps you'd want from you know a lot of the Atojas of the world or the, the Harjay Snymans. He had to make up for it, though. Exactly, he, he did. Could throw and a 20 meter the sheer, if he wanted to. The sheer organisation and awareness. He's. Mm. I've seen very few locks with the rugby intelligence that he had. Yeah, and you know, and the other thing is that he people talk about him as this kind of mercenary or whatever, and he wasn't. You know, he moved over to Japan when he was like 21. Uh, he went to, no, he was actually, I think he was 19. He went on a, a exchange year when he was at uni and he stayed there. You know, he, he married a local. And when I was in Hanazono last year for during the World Cup for the Georgia Fiji game, there were, because he's, you know, that's where he's grown, that's where he's lived. That's where he went to uni. That's where he's lived since. And he's played for the local team. Uh, and like they had a framed jersey of him in town and they had banners up just saying, go, you know, Luke San, uh, Thompson San, you know, this like local legend. And there were posters of him everywhere and people loved him. You know, he was really, he'd really bought into the local community and he'd been really respected back and they thought he was magnificent and he was. And like when we watched back, just to keep on my Luke Thompson yeah. tirade, uh, we watched back over the course of lockdown, the Springboks, the Bright yeah. Miracle game. And it was amazing because you'd spent years thinking it was Michael Leach and it was Goromaru and it was Fumi Tanaka yeah, were the stand-up match. players. Yeah, watching it back, Luke Thompson was the best player on the Thompson. pitch. Like, and, and I don't think it's close. He was effectively playing as a second fly half, which is yeah. unheard of for a second row. Because when you look at a second row in 2015, you're looking for certain things. But looking at it four years, well, five years later, mm. you suddenly realise how far that position's changed. Yeah. When you didn't, re- you know, you can't, can't realise how much a second row can change. Obviously, as you were saying a minute ago, Sam, that in this game, he very much caught his lineouts hit his rucks, carried when he needed to. There was one point where he did a one-handed pickup and I thought, oh, that's where he's he's developing this boy. <laughs> yeah. But you're right, like, you wouldn't think there was that much room for change in the second row position. Mm. But my, it, it, that aged so differently watching that game back. Yeah. Like, there's a... So I've just got a couple of moments from him in this game, in the Tonga-Japan game. Just like, he's the only person I've ever seen stop Tamalo the dead in his tracks. Tamalo's on a bit of a charge. Thompson just stops him, drops him. Uh, he's got this incredible take he takes from kickoff where he charges in suddenly out of nowhere and rips it out of the guy about to catch its hands, like arms outstretched, dives, rolls forward, like roly-polies. Uh, he smashes someone, another kickoff into touch. Uh, consistently very good at the line-out, steals a couple. That He wins a breakdown turnover. Uh, there's all sorts of just... I I think he's absolutely brilliant. And I just want a moment to reflect on Luke Thompson, one of the most underrated players of all time, who died this week, age for... No, no. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but Luke Thompson, really good uh, rugby. He, he is. He's uh, that that backbone, the Holly Thompson leech. It's we talk a lot about about the back row, trying to work out how to get the perfect back row, and you know, mm. get a bit of carrying here, but you sacrifice a bit of ability. Those three, although they're not obviously back row players, they have that perfect kind of pivot in that you have Holly who functions in this game and most games as like a, 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 a an eight back with his ball mm. handling obviously with their one three two two formation kind of sent out onto the wing to, to do that job. And then you have Leach who basically 
does everything, but probably his best strength is that ball carrying and then just mopping up with tackles. Yeah. And again, Japan sent him out onto the wing to, to do that job. And there was just something brilliant about watching him take a big old miss pass and just charge at some <laughs> or unsuspecting winger. And then um, you have Thompson, who basically, uh, this is actually, this is accidentally turning to quite a good allergy, but you have those two on the outside, and he basically does everything else that's in the middle of those two. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it does show that if you have those pieces, you can kind of build a team around them because yeah. you, you don't need exceptional players in every single position. You just need star players who can carry a burden and make life easier for everyone else. Yeah, it's it's the backbone analogy, isn't it? You know, people talk about somebody being the backbone of a team, but actually, if you're to look at that, break down what that analogy is, you've got certain players and the rest is just meaty flesh on there to fill out numbers, you know, fill out so you can walk around. Exactly. The one thing I do want to um, want to pick up on again mm. about tactics is there's a point at the start where the Australian commentator says um, Tonga want to play fast, exciting rugby. Now, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> there's this constant Pacific Island kind of um, stereotype that you look at Tonga and you look at Fiji and you go, well, they look a bit similar. They play exactly the same way. Tonga in the last World Cup were the most if what mm. you make is passes per buck and not kicking, the most boring team in the World Cup. They barely pass it per buck and they kick an absolute shit tongue. Yeah. And the, the people just stick this lazy label of like, well, they're Pacific Islanders, yeah. so they all play the same. They all play yeah. one yeah. of plays and, you know, play from anywhere. But Tonga could like that. The way Tonga played against England in particular where they shut yeah. it down, it was the it was the equivalent of parking the bus in football, just knocking it around your back free. Uh, yeah. it, it was so boring. Kurt I, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, Kurt Marath, who here, weirdly, both does and doesn't look younger. Like, his face shape hasn't changed at all, but there's no wrinkles. Oh, let me see. How old was he in 2011? Oh, he was uh, 46. <laughs> uh, might be 47. <laughs> yeah, he's only 35 now. I don't believe it. His profile in ESPN Scrum as well is a really young-looking lad with like Beatles hair. Actually, I don't. I don't believe that ever happened. I don't believe there was ever a young, promising youngster called Kirk Stanley Morath. <laughs> of course, his middle name's Stanley. Of course, he's got the most bog-standard, slightly boring, but in a unique way, middle name. His um his Wikipedia picture actually makes him look like a Madame Two Swords. Um... <laughs> So did some of his play in last World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he I mean, but that's kind of it. He is the Tongan team are hardy waxworks that get kind of shoved into contact and then that's really it. I mean, Vinicolo had some exciting um, moments. Um yeah. and they're the, they're the good they are the good side in this World Cup. Yeah. Um, mm, but absolutely. we really I do think that people probably need to put away the the lazy stereotype that Tonga are this yeah. exciting no. Pacific Island. Yeah, it's worth noting. Like the, the only try up to the you know in this World Cup so far, Tonga have had scored by a back. I think. Oh no, there was one by Sally Pietau and one two. by yeah Sally Pietau and Fetu Vainakola. The only backs to score try. They've had more tries through their forwards. Yeah, yeah, and they're such a direct team at this point. And mm. really, the majority of the Tongan game plan in this game was revolving around the scrum. Which yeah. had so they had uh, Suwani Tongawe and Falfalise both playing top level in Europe, 
at this point. And on the bench, they had Sonatamala and Halani Aluka. Again, high-profile players. Why wouldn't you base your game plan around them? Yeah. And just to briefly touch on Felice, because, you know, if I could touch Felice right now, I would. But... You're blessed. Yeah. Can we just talk about the moment when Tao Felice Please. becomes the arch playmaker and sets up a try for Lolo Katui? It's exactly what you'd expect from Tao Felice, who is, of course, yeah. one of the all-time great playmaking props. And, yeah. of course, one of the all-time great rugby players. You know, there was actually talk shortly after this game uh, of the All Blacks, obviously, because not long after this, Dan Carter goes uninjured. Uh, and there was talk of whether or not it would be okay for them to call up Tao Felice for him to play 10 for New Zealand. You know, I always had this thing, right, that before Felice retired, and it's still possible, but I always thought that if Felice hasn't played for Tonga in long enough, that he could re-qualify for Wales by playing four sevens tournaments and get a <laughs> Welsh cap. And I just really want that to happen. I could see him in sevens. It'd be a lot I of fun. glorious. Yeah. yeah. It's, you remember that one try he scored against Toulouse, where he ran exactly. like 30 yards off Sam Norton? Yeah. yeah. He's glorious. Sorry, Sam. No, I was just going to say we almost um, there was almost a makeshift sure Sam Yorton night on that, but it didn't. We only got as far as Sam Yorton. <laughs> I get the full night, so he doesn't appear in our in our bedroom later. Does he? <laughs> you mentioned him three times. He appears and knocks the ball on from the ten position. <laughs> the um, the Tongan uh, scrum really does take apart um, Japan. Until the second half, when they yeah. make substitutions and somehow Japan look completely rejuvenated, it's mm. that's honestly I think the, the turning point of the game. Really, it was I know obviously Japan don't quite get into it, you know, but and also I mean Tonga were blessed with the fact that James Arledge had just spent ten minutes in the Simba, which took so much sting out of the Japanese yeah. attack. But well, and, half and time yeah, making right. that change. There's this interesting yeah, thing of while James Arledge is in the Simba, Fumi Tanaka is still taking quick taps at every opportunity. <laughs> yes. And I can't work out whether the thing to do is to slow the game down or to try and really commit to like, no, this yeah. is the way we play. We're going to do this. Well, can I say, so the James Allage yellow card, mm. not a yellow card, quite quite clearly not, quite clearly onside. It's a long time after the ball's been played. Um, but the, right, because the ball's in the scrum half's hands, but it hasn't left, like it's still behind the back foot of the ruck. So it becomes one of those where I've got to, you've got to stop and go, wait, no, Hold on, because if he is offside, it's clearly a yellow card because yeah. he's absolutely killed the play. But it's a basically for those that haven't seen it, um, he he runs in and takes an intercept when he's possibly offside when Tonga otherwise have numbers and would have scored. Oh, definitely, yeah. So, so that's a good point. When I saw that, I thought the ball had bobbled and was out the back mm. and was then picked up, and it, it was at that point that he came out of the line. Um, but. He he is he was he had a great game. Our league, I thought, a quite maybe not great, a very good game. Yeah. Um, distributing and him and Nicholas uh, formed quite a good, um, quite a good pairing. But um, when he was huffing a simbing, Sean Webb, bless him, yeah. didn't have a great ten minutes. Um, kind of a standing fly half. He he hadn't had a great game up till then. Um, there was one moment where he kind of quite scaredly kicks the ball out of his 22 when he just fly hacks it out when yeah. he just dived on it. Um, Makes about six metres. Yeah. I don't think we've we, you've gone, you've quite done that justice. <laughs> yeah, there's a, quite a good kick by Tonga. 
Endo, the Japanese winger, covers it, and he hurls the ball about 13 feet over Webb's head. And it looks like he's trying to pass to someone outside Webb it who isn't It looks like he's the crossbar. Yeah, like he's, it's nowhere near. Like it isn't like he's trying to pass to Webb and he just misses slightly. He he chucks it like his head's high over his head. Webb then instead of diving on it or picking it up and trying oh, to kick it tremendous. or anything else, he just tries to fly hack it about 10 metres. It's horror. It's terror. It's like automatically it looks day like, qualification. It looks like his attitude is kind of like, well, if the ball's not in my hands, it's not my problem. And just boots <laughs> exactly, it like yeah. 10 metres away at most. It, it is, it's like Kate's rugby in that the ball's there and no one is quite brave enough to dive on it. Yeah. And it, it is awful. But that's also, like we say at the start, it's just, it's quite Japanese in like the best kind of Japan that we've seen recently. But also there's no execution. So it's like, yeah. yeah. The idea is very, very kind of modern Japan rugby, but the execution is very 2011. <laughs> yes. It just, it bothers me that he had time to pick that ball up. It wasn't like there was someone hairing down him. He could have picked it up and probably still got like a bit of a clearance in or stood his ground. But like, he, he doesn't. And it's like, you, mate, you're playing for, I suppose not your country, you're playing for a country. But <laughs> this is in, this is a World Cup. Yeah. Dive on the ball, like show some sort, if people can do this playing, you know, for like Barnstable thirds uh, against Jerry Collins. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, yeah. Then you can do it playing for Japan. Admittedly, they weren't playing against Tonga for basketball, but <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It it's it's an incredible moment of shitness. Uh, will we talk about the scrum? Did we move on past the scrum? Because uh, well, the only thing I was going to say about Sean Webb is hmm. at the in the yellow card period, um, he receives the ball. He can hmm. put it out of play. The game's the half's over, hmm. and he lofts a high ball. Into the instilling his own half, no one's really chasing. I think because everyone else is going. Well, clearly Sean's going to stick this into the stands because why would we do anything other than that when we're down forty men in our own twenty-two at the end of the half? So he sticks this, this high ball down. No one really chases it. It's caught. I think it's caught by Molaf or maybe Peter, yeah. who for mm, some Molaf. reason, instead of attacking again, the, the game situation is the same. You're up a man. You're in the Japan half. He just looks at it, goes. You know, maybe this is a what a fortunate blessing we have here, and just does exactly the same kick which Webb marks. Although I don't even know if he does mark it. I think Dave Pearson just he goes, does, "Yeah, Mate, oh, yeah, yeah. For God's sake, you've marked this. Just stop." Uh, and then they do get out of play. And, Dave, and he tells him to kick the ball yeah. out as well. He says, <laughs> "Yeah, you've got the mark. Just kick it out." Yeah. And the other thing is, like, after he calls the mark, Sean Webb just goes for a little walk. Yeah. Like, he just, he just, he catches the ball, calls the mark, Dave Pearson awards him the mark, and he just starts wandering off. And everyone's kind of like, mate, what are you doing? Why are you just walking 10 metres away? Just on a casual little stroll through the park. Yeah, and then he comes back, and he's told to kick it out. Mate, yeah. Kick it out. <laughs> and he is told to kick it out. I, It's a simply, simply remark-worthy performance by Sean Webb, I think. Um, should we talk a bit about the Tonga team? Because I don't think we've... Sure, yeah. Oh, actually, I think a good point to pick up on Tonga is so from the very kickoff, right, Japan taking the kickoff and about five seconds into the game, they try to run it from their own try line. At which point, Kikitani picks a great line that would have put him straight through, but he can't take the pass. They knock it on, just as you were saying, Sam, about you know the execution. 
and Tonga regather the ball. Tonga then keep hold the ball until 9 minutes 28. Wow. Which is the next time a Japanese player has the ball in their hands. Wow, that's incredible. There's also, uh, on the inverse of what happened with James Arledge, about, I think it's like 35 seconds into the game, Luke mm. Thompson doesn't roll away and gives what is very clearly a yellow card offence and just totally gets away with it. And he just gives a scrum, which eventually, to be fair, leads to uh, William Mahaffey's try. Mm. But I guess Japan accumulatively had a yellow card coming. They, they were lucky to only get one, really, after that, mm-hmm. after that start. There was so much pressure... And they were so consistently offending pretty much the same way. One thing I did like, or that I thought was quite funny, was well, Pia Chow makes that break out of his own half. Yes. There's no one back, and he, he's, he's, it's a brilliant break. Mm-hmm. But he's clearly going to get chased down by, weirdly enough, Leach, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. Michael Chased down. And Pia Chow is looking, you know, he's, he's holding the ball and he's looking for offload. And he doesn't get it away. And I think. You probably could have tossed it over the top of Leach or... You top know, of you... Grubber Kick, I was thinking. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that would have worked as well because Leach was clearly coming across to him so that everyone else yeah. could have just kicked it away from him. But he doesn't decide to do any of that. And then I think, OK, fair enough. He's made the break. They're going to score the second phase because you know he's clearly decided that the offload is too dangerous to try. Then he gets tackled and then tries a completely mad, never in a million years was it on offload. That goes straight to to Engdo, I think, and yeah. just think. Well, there was you showed some circumspect there to not throw the Achilles offload. Did that just run out? Like you just <laughs> you just exhausted that, and then thought, ah, I'll I'll that, what I'm going to do is throw some ridiculous one hand off, <laughs> and he, they get turned over. They then return it back over, which is he was and I think playing. Scotland. He was playing initially off instinct then you remember the commentators wanted Tonga to play fast exciting rugby <laughs> so he went oh better throw this offload then never mind yeah the really remarkable bit about that break that you mentioned is as you say he's chased down by Michael Leach yeah. right I watched it on the replay Pietau takes the ball five meters or you know two or three meters plus plus the the angle ahead of Michael Leach who chases down an outside center yeah. Hounds him, catches him. I think and then... five metres is generous to Piertel. I yeah. think Leach does a bit more than that. Oh, yeah, probably with the angle is 10 metres. Yeah. Leach chases him down, like, and it takes, you know, over 70 metres, over from 22 to 22. I say, Tonga then turned the ball back over, as you mentioned, Sam. And then they fire it on, you know, and the first phase after Tonga turned it back over, Michael Leach gets over the ball and wins it back for Japan and yeah. wins the breakdown. Turnover. It's one of the most remarkable moments of open side flanker play you'll ever see. Yeah, it, it is a stunning bit of bit of chasing because when you watch it the first time, you think what's happened is that maybe Leach is injured or he was playing in the backfield or something, and he's just come across mm. and made the tackle. But then when you watch it back, you think, well, hang on, he was he was attacking just seconds yeah. before. It's incredible. I mean, he he also does that. Um, uh, when Vanicolo almost scores in the yeah. corner, which comes charging across, makes a tackle. And then I think, I think it's Engdo, it could be Onazawa. It's Onazawa, yeah. Makes a brilliant clearing kick from Kavadu. Yeah. Um, but they they were really scrambling defensively, Japan, which which is something they've continued to do since then. They've mm. got more effective at it, but yeah. they really did put up a, a good fight to not be further behind in this game. Yeah. yeah. 
Chirocco um, that leached twice manages to make try-saving tackles to make the player offload to one of his wingers. It's <laughs> a very obscure skill. On Azawa, just to mention him, um, I heard this mention during the game, and I went and checked this. He has two nicknames, which I think are two very fine and unusual nicknames in rugby. One of which is the Eel, which is the more usual of the two, because he's slippery, I guess. Sure. Eli Walker, similar nickname for similar reasons, yeah. also because his name was Eel I. His other nickname, however, which is most often translated in Japanese, is Rubberman, which <laughs> is, of course, named after One Piece, the anime. Which I think makes him the only player in inter- in this World Cup with a nickname after an anime. So, just to get this straight, the All Blacks will have probably had a team huddle at one point and gone, lads, the guy who just scored against us, his nickname's after an anime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the hell are we doing? But Monkey D. Luffy scored against us. What are we doing? <laughs> Actually, you know, he could probably just reach all the way around because he's got like those rubber arms, hasn't he? I'm running out of One Piece knowledge. I just know it's about a stretchy boy. Um, yeah, you you lost me at anime, to be honest. Yeah, this is a film podcast. Why aren't we talking about like a bit of Ghibli? That's a good point. <laughs> Sam, favorite Studio Ghibli film? Go. Um, I've only seen one. Oh wow! Okay. Apologies in advance. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's what's it <laughs> okay. What's it the bathhouse. The bathhouse. Uh, that will be Spirited Away. Yeah, that one. Though I think House Moving Castle might have a bathhouse as well, but Spirited Away, which is great. Spirited Away. Spirited Away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. I, I should, I should go back and rewatch them. I'm yeah. not a massive animation fan, if I'm honest. No, uh, no. Well, I like, I like. What do I like that happens animated? I do like Lion King, the original one. Yeah. I also like um, Toy Story yes. and Toy Story mm. and Toy Story Three. Yeah. All oh, all good. Toy Story all Four. Good. But no Toy Story Four. I I will die on the hill. Toy Story Four is great. I've not even seen Toy Story 4. Oh, good. I'm just so worried. It took me so long to build up to watching Toy Story 3 because I was so mm. worried it was going to be absolutely awful. Um, in fact, I watched Toy Story 3 the best of a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That probably is, actually. I couldn't rank them. I, I struggled with my Toy Story 3. Yeah. But I really like 4 as a... It's more an epilogue than an ending. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I liked it, but nowhere near as much as the first three. Hmm. Well, that's that's a problem. So I I think that about because the Hobbit came back on TV. Uh, right. Do you think that the Hobbit is rubbish because we've seen Lord of the Rings, or is it rubbish because it's rubbish? Well, I think okay. It's rubbish. If it's rubbish because of Lord of the Rings, that would require Lord of the Rings to itself be worth watching. Oh, um, yeah. I I realize I may have lost what audience we have, um, but I am. Um, yeah, I just... It's a lot of waiting around for people looking at eagles, you know. It's a lot of just nonsense. Um, I've never been a... I've, I've pissed off so many people instantly because I can't ever launch a... Because I know it's just... I just... I don't... I don't click with it, you know. Do you, does that, you're, do you not like any kind of fantasy stuff like that or...? I know I'm less inclined towards it and I couldn't tell... I think... I'm Neither of us like towards... Game of Thrones, if that answers your question. I've never watched Game of Thrones. Oh, do you not? Have you not? No. I no. have, and I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> I watched the like, first five episodes and couldn't get into it. But I just. People like, crucify me for. But... The thing, part of the thing I like about films, right, is that you kind of. You come in and you got. Like, in two hours, you found out all you need to know about this world and you're done. Um, 
I find it often quite hard when, and I'm less, I've got slightly less patience when I've got to learn the rules of a world and it takes more than two hours to do so, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I'm fine with, like, I saw Tenet yesterday and I'm fine with that because it's like, okay, these are the rules of the world, fine, they're complicated, but I can follow them in that time period. Whereas instead it's like, oh, you've got to go and read these 17 books and then you've got, like, the Salmarillion and you've got, oh, I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> the thing that really pissed me off about quite a lot of Netflix and mm. stuff like, you know, box set stuff that's on there. Two things. First one is, I remember I watched the first episode of the XO or the mm. OA or the... I, and the with Britt Robertson. I know the yeah. No, not Britt Robertson. Britt Marling, sorry. Maybe. It was like a, it was a TV series recently. Yeah. It had, um, it had Hello to Jason Isaacs in it. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that one? Yeah. We're thinking the same programme. Yeah, and I watched the first episode of that, and what what happens with a lot of these kind of mystery mystery type mm. things is that the first episode is someone walking into a room where someone's having a conversation, and then the person stops having the conversation, or someone is goes into a building, mm. and it's never that explain why they're in the building, or someone like opens a box and looks suspiciously or scaredly or whatever at the box and closes it, and you're sat there going. I've, I've sat for an hour of this. I've got absolutely no idea what's going on. And yeah. you're confused, like intrigue for just confusion. Like, it yes. wouldn't yeah. be an intriguing book if you just went so and so said, and then George said this, and then you just blanked out what he said. Yeah. Like, that's not mysterious. That's just incredibly infuriating. <laughs> and, and the second thing that annoys me about those things is when someone says, oh, yeah, the first series is a bit slow, but it picks up after that. And you think the first series is 24-hour-long episodes. <laughs> I'm not going to sit through a whole day of my life watching something that, by your own ambition, and you're the fan, is quite hard to get into. Yeah, that's that's the other thing that always get you know, when people say, oh, you're going to watch the third series. I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I don't care. Or even the opposite of Game of Thrones is like, yeah, it's really good. Uh, and then the ending shit. Yeah. I know. Well, what's the point? Yeah. Well, there's so many of those where where you think, oh, great first series, mm. great second series, ah, third series is on the wane, fourth yeah. series is actively poor, and then the fifth series is woeful. Like I have a I have a friend who watched entirety of Lost, and he mm. Mm. Uh, he hates it because he couldn't stop because he invested so much time into the good bits that he just absolutely despises it, like the last couple of series where they just clearly phoned it in. Yeah, I likewise have a friend who watched all... This isn't... Never mind. Um, let's not compare no- our friend's notes on Lost. Uh, this is what people have tuned in for. <laughs> Who's got You're a mate that watched all of Lost? World Cup retrospective, where we yeah. talk about Tonga against Japan from the 2011 Rugby World Cup. Exclusively. Nothing I can, else. I... I can do a little bit more rugby on this. Hey, go, on, go on, please. Okay. A bit more notes. So, first thing, there were 12 Japan handling errors after one hour. Wow. Christ. But I think that's indicative of how they're trying to play, isn't it? Because yeah. they're too ambitious for their skill level. Yeah, it definitely was. Also, um, though, in context, well, be after what you said about they didn't touch it for basically the entire first 10 minutes, <laughs> means yeah. they only had yeah. 50 minutes <laughs> to back up 12 handling others that's insane 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Also, the ability with which both sides managed to completely mess it up as after they scored a try. The mm. number of times that a uh, number of times that Japan either scored a try or got a penalty and then messed up the least start, or Tonga scored a try and then messed mm. up the least start. I mean, it was there were element it was a good game because it was scrappy. It wasn't necessarily what you'd show to a team to say, Well, this is how we want to play. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a game you show to someone who's thinking about watching the World Cup, but not someone who's thinking about getting into rugby. Yeah, yeah. Well, both the first two tries, there's Mafu's try and then Hatsakiyama's try, both come mm. from kickoffs that the other team have just completely fluffed. And like Hatsakiyama scores his try, where the commentators are convinced it's a double movement, and Hatsakiyama like gets up and then he looks like he's convinced himself. He's like, "Oh, that was a try." I thought it was a double movement. Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> but then maybe that's just making up for Arledge's call. You know, it's a uh, these things shake out. Karma, Hatakiyama. Also, Tanaka is actively digging around at the back of the look, trying to find the ball. <laughs> yes, planting somewhere near the try line. Um, so it doesn't look like what you would typically expect a, a try to look like. Yeah, so you look at the replay and you're thinking like, oh, okay, is this the, the ball's about to come out, isn't it? Because Tanaka is, as you say, like he's fumbling about for the ball, thinking, where is it? And you don't realise that somebody's just scored next to you. <laughs> also, can we just point out that Robbie just spent all of that time when you were talking about that, just smirking at his own joke, where he said, karma for Hatakiyama. <laughs> <laughs> Hatakiyama police. I thought I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Hatakiyama, yama, 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 chameleon. Oh, God, I halfway through realized I've got to do this. I don't, I don't <laughs> want, I don't want to read the punchline of this. The um, um, just to please pass that. <laughs> please. The the thing I really liked about these commentators is they were quite they're quite good look to listen to. Like generally, I quite enjoyed it. Mm. But there was a bit near the start where. There's quite a clear high tackle by a Tongan player on, I'm not sure who it is, but some like, Japanese back is kind of trying to get down the outside of this guy and he gets a really high tackle. Yeah. And, uh, and the commentator goes, oh, that looked like a high tackle to me, except in an Australian accent. And then um, 
Dave Pearson doesn't do anything. Mm. And the commentator goes, oh, he's waved it on. Good refereeing. And you think, <laughs> it can't be both. Like, it can't, yeah. you think it's a high tackle, in which case he's made the wrong decision. Or you, you're thinking, great, he's just, just playing what he sees, in which case it's bad that it's not a high tackle. Like, it can't, <laughs> you know, can't have that both ways. And it fits into that category that we're seeing a lot of this World Cup, going back over it, that that would be a yellow card now. But... Yeah. You know, you've got to let it go because the game was different. And actually, in the week between the last game and this game, or the time in between, uh, referees issued, or the the big boss of referees issued a statement saying they wanted teams to be or referees to be more harsh on police infringements and on tip tackles, which won't be relevant, and there won't no. be any tip tackles that are really up? harshly. Just because it was mentioned, you know, it won't it won't be relevant okay, at all in, in any game, Thanks. especially not in knockouts. Okay, okay, let's just not talk about it then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sam Warburton probably watched this game, having a nice day. Uh, he was having a great time, as he would for the after World Cup, shush, shush, uh, including shush, that finally went on to shush. play in. He must have been watching Michael Leach play seven and been getting some <laughs> lovely uh, tips on tips, oh. tips, just and tips <laughs> on, um, on how to how to tackle. The stand of humour is going down here. Should we talk about Leach's try that he scored? Because, sure. I mean, he wasn't having a good enough game already up to that point. <laughs> We're about 20 minutes in. And for the record, there's a, there's a period, if anybody does decide to rewatch this game, if you're stripped for time, maybe start at about 10, 15 minutes in and go till about the 30th minute because that is where both teams just go totally batshit. That's when that tackle, that leech tackle happens. There's Onazal makes a lovely break, which Sean Webb, that, no, um, Vugalila then takes him around the ankles. Then Nicholas makes a break on the switch, which leads to Leach's try. And it was pro- probably Endo, I think, gave the pass back inside. And Leach, it didn't look like he was really positioned to finish it, but he takes that so well. He finishes it yeah. like an outside centre would. The way he rides the tackle and manages to get the ball down is yeah, genuinely an incredibly impressive finish. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a great build-up as well because there's kind of options and you compare it to Pietro's break where mm. no one really gave him many options to, to pass to. And that and in Felicia's strikes, it's much more kind of clear-cut. Like Japan are clearly getting players into positions to make, to have multiple options either side. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's also Tupaeli makes a break himself. And the thing is, to again, briefly just talk about Tupaeli. It's very strange because I feel like this is a, a very open game, which weirdly suits a centre like him, who is quite rangy. Not rangy, he's, he's big, but and can sort of offload, but can't do anything else. Like, he doesn't have much of a skill set. He really struggles catching the ball. And there's a couple of points where you think, oh, if it was Manoli there, he'd have put that in behind. Or and, just... A centre who could pass. Yeah. Sure, yeah. If and it was someone really playing like under-15s rugby at 12. Yeah, it's really frustrating watching him because th- this game is so nearly perfectly crafted for him. Mm. And yet, he just lets himself down on so many occasions by just lazily, you know, not running the right line or dropping the ball just before the defensive line or whatever. Yeah, he makes a break, and then which le- le- then leads to Sean Webb throwing a dummy and not quite scoring himself. Mm. Yeah, no, Tupaeli is infuriating to watch, frankly. Because he's like he's good enough to be frustrating. Yeah. It's not like he's just shit. He just yeah. he can't pass. He doesn't have a round of that skill set. And there's a few points, you know, there's a point, um, Sam, you mentioned in the second half where they tried to play out of the joint twenty two. And if he throws a decent pass, Endo has at least quite a good run down the wing. 
Yeah. But instead he just drops it behind him, you know, because it's it's a really difficult pass for him to take. It's not sympathetic at all because he's struggling because it's off his wrong hand. It's just, he's... As I say, he's good enough to be... You see where someone will pick him up, yeah, but he's not. his skill set isn't good enough for this level. Yeah. Well, I find quite interesting is when you look... Because it's hard to watch these games without then thinking, well, you know, what happens next? Yeah. And when you think about those... Think about what happened next... You took Tupala, Tupala, hang on, Tupalaya. Yeah. Okay, sorry. And <laughs> uh, you, uh, you replace him this year or last year with uh, Lafayel. Mm. And they're pretty much the same height. And, uh, but there's about 20 kilograms difference between them. But you, you see the huge upsurge in, in skill level there. Yeah. In that Raphael has got an unbelievable offload and yeah. great passing and just kick. kick, yeah, and can just he, he kind of brings that back line together. If he was in this twenty eleven size, you've got Arledge who is really good, like mm. it's a good yeah. tank. You've got Nicholas who was had a storming game, and then yeah. you put Raphael there, you've just had so many more options to move that ball wide and to put people into space. And Japan just didn't have that. And you could see that that told in a few uh, parts where they put themselves under pressure by not being able to exit, which passing to exit is fantastic. Like more teams should do that because there's so much space. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they just didn't have the skill set to, to execute that. And you can see that there's, there's quite a few people who are essentially kind of upgrades of the 2011 players. Like you look mm-hmm. at um, Himeno. Um, and uh, Kikutani and Kikutani has a decent game but they even down to like the same uh, lifting tape they incredibly <laughs> similar style of player yeah mm. I always considered Jimeno to be the direct midpoint between Kikutani and Leach as a youngster mm. in the Japanese back row yeah I, I just think Jimeno's the most rounded back row I've seen come through in a long time he can do everything and he's also he's built he's built in such a way that he could convincingly play anywhere across that and he has played everywhere across that that back five um you know he's capped a second row seven and obviously played six and eight when the world cup yeah i i rate kazuki Himeno impossibly highly yeah. uh, and i also enjoy the fact that he he started tweeting videos and playing rugby 20 on his own he's got like a really fancy gaming chair as well because of course he has <laughs> It's, it, it is a it's a great game to watch just to see to see if, if I were um, you know the USA or Canada mm. or something I would just love to watch this game and then say Japan Samoa or Japan Russia you know whatever for 2019 and mm. go okay well, how do we get from there to yeah um, and it's actually not that complicated you know you I mean obviously behind the scenes it's vastly complicated to yeah. get players up to that level and all that kind of stuff but in terms of style of play you just need to you need to upskill everyone which is clear like that's yeah. the difficult thing to do but you, you can't really skip that bit you have to no. upskill yeah um but then you also have to kind of decide how you're going to play the game and mm. like we well, like we spoke about before japan were playing in the mold of every other team despite the fact that their play didn't really suit that um, yeah. when they escaped from that that's when they really became the, the kind of the elite team that they are yeah. now. I actually, 
I think you picking the USA and Canada is a really interesting pair of examples because those countries are both so big and so varied. And I know Canada in particular has real problems trying to get a united team together and trying to get the teams to train. And so much of how Japan were able to improve was that Eddie Jones and Jeremy Joseph were both given almost complete access to their players. Yeah. And part of that also comes from the fact that they have a really well-developed domestic league. So basically their entire team played... You know, you look at this team, it's only Kikitani that doesn't play in Japan. Um, mm. And likewise, you look at, you know, it was... Arledge as well. When, oh yes, Arledge, of course, yeah. Uh, just coming from the Dragons. And you look at, you know, two years ago when Joseph's first beginning to build for a World Cup, it's just Fumi Tanaka and then... I guess Michael Leach was still at the Chiefs at the time, wasn't he? Uh, but he comes back as well in, in order to prepare for yeah. this World Cup. So again, you've got 30-odd of your squad there and you're able to bring them together and train and unite. And like, it's a bullshit point, but I also think it is relevant that Japan has really good public transport systems. That, you know, they have the world's best public transport, as you, you will have experienced as well, Sam, out there last year. Um, so you're able to quite easily get from one side of the country to the next, you know, in a day. It's it's not a problem to unite this squad, whereas Canada and the USA don't really have mm, that advantage and weren't able to bring together and build a team over the course of a year in the way Eddie Jones and Jamie Joseph were through just having the sheer time and ability. And MLR will help with that. You know, players being contracted yeah. to play in America and in Canada will help a lot, but it's the beginnings of something, you know. I've just had a thought but on the basis of what you were just saying, Sam, about skill level, that... Uh, and it's quite a lazy thing, obviously, to say like, "Oh, everyone can handle the ball now." But thinking about it, for example, like to pick out a couple of players in the Japan team last year, for example, like Nakajima and Ivalu, mm. who were the replacement props for Japan. I would genuinely wager that their ball handling was probably better than Tupaeli and Nicholas, yes, uh, who yeah. the centre partnership in twenty eleven, and that that's insane because you know they are, you know, whether it's training in a match, they're given so many more touches of the ball per, you know. 40 minute period or whatever mm. then those centers will have in this time and that's just crazy to think like that's a pair of replacement props yeah yeah well when i was in when i was in tokyo we had the office i was in um was next door to a to a high school and they had like um their um i guess training facilities it was just like mugs basically kind of hard pack mug but just were out opening out onto the street so one lunch i just grabbed some food and was sat there watching their their rugby training session and i it was interesting to see because because they were really heavily working on just skill level i didn't see them play um even the times i just kind of walked past and just kind of had a look and see what they were doing they weren't playing touch or anything like that they were just doing drills mm. um which i kind of thought was odd because the japan game if any game if any kind of team in world would be suits just playing touch all the time yeah. then kind of japan is that but also you can see how much focus they were putting on that on that skill level um and obviously you can lead too much into one school and how they do it but it kind of felt a bit at odds to how japan were playing and that they were trying to be really structured in this in this school training session but clearly the japan well they are structured but hmm, in a different way yeah i don't know i structure I think Japan, because they're a big passing team, people assume that all passing teams are Fiji, you know, and it is improvised. And I think actually Japan is really pre-set out. And just because they, 
they keep holding the ball, but not in the way Ireland keep holding the ball, and or and Joe Smith would, you know, and, and it was phase after phase after phase, and they were very much just crashing up after one or two passes. Japan, they will chuck it about, but they know what they're doing before the ball leaves the ruck. Like, I would also imagine that a lot of that whole thing about them doing loads of drills as like coaching point is that in a drill like that, each player can touch the ball five times in a minute, whereas mm. when you play a game of touch, you'll maybe get it twice. Um, and it's such a it's such a key point that coaches focus on these days is giving players yeah. loads of touches of the ball, you know, loads of chances to practice your passes or your catch or whatever simple skills. So I imagine that's probably something to do with it. And yeah, a load of... sorry, go on. No, I was just gonna say I I, I definitely agree. I, I think that's how Japanese rugby sustains itself beyond Holly, Leach, Thompson, mm. is that you need you need those players coming up, but also you need to keep that skill level high because realistically, unless something vastly different happens, you're gonna end up with quite a lot of smaller people that you know, if you don't want to keep kind of going to Australia and New Zealand and seeing if you can pick up kind of locks from there, your game is going to be like this for mm. ever, really. Yeah, yeah. But I think I can see the second row position evolving to a place in which is less important being incredibly tall. Like it was still obviously there will still be Devon Toners and there will still be players like Luke Charters who are there as line out specialists. But I can see it getting to a place in which someone like Jimeno could stand out as a second row forward, despite, yeah. you know, he's tall enough rather than being exceptionally tall. Uh, but because he's got the complete skill set, you know, he has the skill set of a James Ryan or a Mario Tojo. If, frankly, if not better. Uh, there you go. I said it. Uh, Jimeno is better than Mario Tojo. Done. Correct. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm not sure I would disagree. Or well, certainly I wouldn't too heavily. I mean, the problem is a lot of what we, a lot of the problem we have with Japanese rugby, and uh, to to be honest, I mean, with the semi Langdragdra thing mm. that's going on at the moment, the, the not seeing people gives them both a massive mystique, and also mm. we completely forget about them. In that, yeah, I, I don't think if before the twenty nineteen World Cup, anyone would have said. Jole could be the best hooker in the world or is certainly in the mix. People have gone, not a chance. Like, that's the I don't know. I've always rated him, I think after this World Cup, I rated him incredibly highly. But I, I know I know exactly what you're saying. People, yeah. would, people would leap to... I, I would say that you would have people... And I'm, I'm talking about not the not the Uber nerds here. But you would yeah. have people talking Dane Coles... Jamie George probably and um, the two South African hookers, yeah, the Umbanambi and um, Marks. Yeah, you, you'd have those all ahead of before Holiday was even considered. Mm. I yeah. think. And so I think that's kind of happened with Japanese rugby. It's it's out of the way. No one really watches it until they're international games, and you it's, it's easy to uh, it, it's yeah it's easy to forget that those guys are yeah they got to a World Cup quarter final. And didn't lose in their pool, despite playing Ireland and um, Scotland. Mm. And you know, they are the elite, and so some of those guys do have to come into the coming to the mix. Yeah, and I think it works the opposite way with Van Dragdra, where people don't only see him very briefly at his best and uh, extrapolate wildly to where they think he's at. Uh, William, do you what do you think of Samuel Jada? I would wage. I very regularly say this. I think Samuel Rajendra is the best rugby player in the world. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna very referee here. Uh, I'm gonna say nothing for the next few minutes. Okay, this is gonna be fun. Oh, well, yeah. do you want to go first, Will? 
make your case? Um, I just I think he's he's insane. I think him playing on the wing for Fiji in the World Cup when that first happened, I first thought, oh, what are they doing? You want to give him more touch of the ball, but it just shows how adaptable I think he is because he didn't play necessarily as a wide player, but still works in that sense because he's so strong and so quick and like. Watching Bristol on Tuesday night, which would have been last week as this episode goes out, the way that he can beat a player when he has no right to, it, I, I think it kind of <laughs> weirdly evolves like two-on-ones as we know it or three-on-twos as we know it because he can take out an extra defender. And just so long as he has somebody to read off him, which granted isn't you know something that's guaranteed, I just think he's unplayable at times. So um, <laughs> when I get into the... So I've, I want to be very clear, and I think people make the mistake, not you two, because you're, you know, you can converse. But I think sure. people make the mistake of, if I'm saying I don't think he's the best in the world, people immediately leap to me saying he's complete dog shit. And to be clear, I don't think that. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think he is in the top uh, top five centres in, okay, in the world. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's top half, you know, he's like, yeah. there are players worse. Yeah, yeah, he's better. He's he's arguably better than me. Look. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what I would say is just from a purely stats statsy perspective. So again, that same game against against Exeter, actually away from the stats, but that game against Exeter, defensively he was kind of found out. And admittedly, yeah, Phil Dolman is also in the top five. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it goes Sam Lana, Phil Dolman, Semarandrandra, Timothy Lafayette. That's the list. <laughs> they can be flat. They can move. Yeah, sure. they, they, those, those listings can be fluid, but they they're largely going to stay like that. Um, but I, I think um, uh, he, he was great. That that try that Johan uh, Lloyd scored, where he, he fixed two men and then popped out the yeah. back. But um, when people bring him up as 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 the best in the world, I do. I just go to his ESPN scrum page and he's played 10 matches for Fiji and he scored five tries, which admittedly is a good return for right. someone. But three like, of Kondre them... Kondre scored four tries in one match. Why is he not the best player <laughs> in the world? He is. <laughs> Second. But he scored three tries against Georgia and one try against Scotland, which yeah, is questionable which one of those is more valuable. Uh, no, I'll tell you what, that game against, I was at that game against Georgia. The rain was comp, I couldn't see like the person in the crowd next to me, never mind the actual action on the pitch. The fact that he could, he had the vision to see where the try line was and put the ball down makes it the most impressive try he scored. Hang on, um, Sam, am I, you're a Wales supporter too, right? Yes, I am. Have you yet recovered from the Wales Fiji game in the World Cup? Because <laughs> I haven't. I, yeah, no, not really. I, that was a very nervous game. Yeah. I, I loved the um, uh, the the little the small moment of um, George North brilliance to putting um, uh, who was it? Lloyd Williams? Was it Lloyd Williams who scored that try? Lloyd didn't get Sanjay scored at the end the last try. Oh, what, what's the one? Is, was that George where the he's where the scrum? Oh, are? Thomas Williams scored. Yeah, was that Fiji? That Tom, was Georgia. That was Georgia, oh, yeah. Well, so it turns out that not only have I not the cover from it, I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, PTSD for you. Yes, yeah. I, no, yeah. he was playing for South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. 
Should we get back onto this game? Do you reckon? No, I was enjoying this, but fine. You know, I <laughs> I think I think what we've all learned is that uh, none of these players are as good as Billy Sill. Um, anyway, so <laughs> or Tongue, of course. Cool. Um, so I have a point in my notes where Vinacolo scores a try, and I just have written down Vinacolo brackets fire emoji. <laughs> he 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 looked great in this game. He was so kind of shift. steppy and. Yeah. Ball in one hand, kind of just showing off. I've, I I really enjoyed watching him. Actually, I, mm. I kind of he's one of those people who because obviously I don't really watch that much Tongan rugby, um, and he's one of those people I kind of obviously obviously knew about because of his time elsewhere. But he was just so good. Like he was, he just lit it up whenever he got the ball. Yeah, his acceleration was unbelievable. Yeah. Do you want to know two fun facts about Fetty Vanicolo? Yes, so he goes on to be Tonga's all-time top try scorer. This was his second try. Yeah, which I think is, I think it's, re- I always think that's really interesting when you kind of see a young player score and you like, you don't realise this guy's going to go on to be yeah. this nation's all-time top try scorer. And as I say, he takes his try so well. Like it's, he's got a bit of a gap. You know, he's got, he should make some ground from yeah. that. It's Peter helps him out a little finish. bit, but yeah. he takes on so much himself. The other interesting thing about Fetty Van Nicolo, and I wish I'd learnt this more than about five minutes before we start recording, because otherwise I would have written an accompanying song, is that his middle name is Moana. Is it? <laughs> like the Disney film. How far will he go for that try? Quite, quite. You're welcome uh, for me setting you up there. Um, he, The try was shiny. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Yeah, his middle name is Moana, um, which apparently is a Hawaiian girl's name. So make what you will of that. Yeah. But, how, did you, yeah it's... how did you get that? This might be going beyond your knowledge of him, but how did he get that uh, that name? Uh, well, he was on a Hawaiian island, or his parents were, when there was obviously there was this huge crisis, um, and the 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 they sent out on this island where his parents lived. Uh, a young girl called Moana to fetch Maui, the demigod. Uh, he sang a bunch of songs. You know, he, he fought a big crab played by Jermaine Clever from Flight of the Concord, weirdly. Uh, and, you know, there was a bunch of stuff. Um, they fought a big, like, demon thing uh, towards the end, and the girl got back. And <laughs> on that day, yeah, yeah, on that day, on the day she got back, a little baby was born. And the dad was like, we should name it Fetu. And the mum said, no, we should name it after Moana, the girl who just saved all our asses. And the dad said, no, that's a girl's name. And she said, are you really that insecure about your masculinity that you won't give your son a girl's name? Bear in mind, so, Vinicolo is related distantly to somebody whose first name is Leslie, who played for England. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so they gave, they named their, they compromised middle name is Moana. Uh, she does not have any powers to control the sea, however. This is that's the most I've learned about Moana. I've a, I've a thing I to... think what you're trying to say is thank you. Is <laughs> well, honestly, I could go on and on. I could spend every natural phenomenon, etc. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Carry I on. can do that. That's like that's <laughs> in my head. That's there. I, I was just going to say I've, I've a thing to you. Has no interesting thing would be or, or anything I do then would be but is massively into Disney and so this will be the the fi- <laughs> finally finally they've got this kind of this this crossover 
I actually also didn't realise that Leslie and, uh, and Final Effective uh, were the latest. I could. Oh, then. Oh, they might not be. You know, I, I might have made that up. I didn't know that they were related to Maui the demigod. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm confused with. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They might not be related. I think I've maybe made that up. But it's it'll probably be one of those things like the Umangas that there's only yeah. a tiny, you know, it comes from one village in one it's town another, or one yeah. island. Yeah, so the chances are they're distantly related. I saw Leslie Vinokolo's first ever Union game. Really? Uh, Gloucester versus Cardiff. Uh, in oh. And it was um, it was delayed by traffic on the M4. Hmm. The full match. I only got to see the first, maybe definitely the first half, and mm. maybe only a couple of minutes after that. Um, oh, before huh. we had to go back to my auntie's for them, some lamb, I think. But, oh, um, huh. but yeah, it was it was quite a good game. The the, the half that I saw. Yeah, that's that's an image. I just the fact that Leslie Vanicola has been inconvenienced by traffic on the M4. Never thought of that before. <laughs> Remember that time to... Worcester's team bus broke down on the way for the Ospreys, yeah. and they had to play in the Ospreys training kit. Did they, didn't uh, Scarlet didn't, didn't they have to play in someone's shorts or someone's top? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that was like two years ago. That was fairly recently, wasn't it? Yeah, they had to was... borrow like Glasgow's shorts or something because they got lost. They might have actually done this twice because they did it in the Principality. Uh, the um, mm. the yeah, in Judgment Day. Judgment Day, yeah. Because mm. I think someone just forgot to bring the non-Scarlet yeah. Scarlet top. Yeah, didn't have to borrow like WIU shorts or something. I'm Maybe glad yeah. everyone's tuned in to listen to us discuss who hasn't hasn't seen Lost and whether or not someone once wore shorts. But we can't listen live. There's three white men try to remember if they've worn they've seen a man wearing shorts. I do have a, I do have a, a very quick point. Nothing really should with them be. It could even be more. <laughs> Could be more boring than what we've just been talking about. But did you get annoyed when the phase counter made the clock disappear? I didn't um, notice that. I didn't notice that. That sounds I annoying, though. The England-Argentina game, but I noticed it in this. I assume it was happening in that game. But when the phase counter came up, it came up at the, below the scoreline, and mm. it made the, the clock disappear, which obviously doesn't happen now because they've got yeah. three things on. But... Um, <laughs> Very irritating. I'd wager the reason why I didn't, you didn't notice that in the England Argentina game is because the phase count never got above two. So. <laughs> yeah, never got to I... a point of counting. But yeah, that was that was that was the only thing that wasn't about basically Japan improved. I kind of didn't really watch Tonga in this game, if I'm honest. I know what you mean. I have no apart from the want to play fast, exciting, lovely bit, which I really yeah. knew they don't and, and the scrum. Yeah. Everything was about Japan. Japan were the more interesting thing. So an interesting stat, again, speaking of the things that came up on the scoreboard mm. graphics, is that, did anybody see the turnover count, the statistics for that? No. Yeah. It came up towards the end of the game with about five minutes to go. Tonga got eight breakdown turnovers. Right. Japan got zero. That's not true. That's not true. Is that that be not counting breakdown penalty turnovers? I don't know. That would make sense. Because Leach won yeah, at least two won. of those. Yeah. Did he? Okay. And okay. yeah. Which is a bad, like, that's a bad stat. Yeah, it is. Mm. Um, like, if it's, a, if it's a penalty, it's a breakdown turnover. You've won the yeah. ball back from a breakdown. Yeah. I, I don't like um, the, the well, I'm going down a stats rabbit hole here. Go for it. I don't like the, the ESPN stat that says, um, that says turnovers conceding, but doesn't say turnovers won. Yes. 
so yes. pointless. Just put them both on. I think we talked about this last time, didn't we? That does that include knock-ons? Does that include yeah, whatever yeah. you know? Does it should include. I mean, so if a turnover is conceded, it should include a knock-on, but mm. you shouldn't wing a turnover that you've that's being knocked on unless you've caused it with a tackle or something. So in theory, you could have more turnovers conceded than the turnovers won by the opposition. Yeah, yeah. It, this is interesting to a few people. <laughs> <laughs> That a few people have made it this yeah. far into the podcast. You found two of them, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst we're on this, I, I moaned about this on a different podcast, but that you know that was a, another claim to be a lovely podcast. But the BBC graphics for the Six Nations, mm-hmm. they had the twenty-two entries, which is a great stat. Yeah. Really yeah. useful to know how many uh, tries and stuff came from twenty-two entries. And what the BBC did. As if hearing it through like quite a thick wall, they heard this idea from like the hotel room next door, took that, and instead of giving you like a breakdown of what percentage of success they had or whatever, they split it into left, middle, and center, uh, left, middle, and right, and gave you the amount of um, 22 entries by each group. Completely think, pointless. Statistic. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of rugby stats are taken by because. Because broadcast coverage of soccer, football, and American football is better than rugby because there's more money in it, often rugby coverage is just copying them yeah. rather than actually building it in a bespoke way. And so I don't know if that's something that's more relevant in football of where, you know, what's the source of the goal? Is it left, right, centre? I, I don't know. But as you say, that's completely irrelevant. Yeah. It, it makes sense that they would have taken that from there, I guess. But yeah. Just who cares? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Tell us how, what percentage of attacks result in a penalty or some kind of yeah. point. Like, you don't need to. You don't need to even overcomplicate it by pulling some fancy graphics. Just give us a percentage. Yeah, yeah. it's so much more interesting if you make it about like open or blind in relation to where the the set piece was or whatever. Yes. as yeah. opposed to left or right. No one cares about that. That tells you nothing. Yeah, and I suppose it's source then, isn't it? Is it yeah a succession of rucks? Is it them going kick? wide straight is away? It, you know? Yeah, a break up the middle. Is it yeah wide? As you say, yeah. See, I'd like that. I'd like I'd like so a baseline. I just mm. I would just want percentage success. Yeah, um, or even not even percentage, just four out of twelve or whatever. Um, yeah, then beyond that, you want something like did they carry it in? Did it was it a penalty or that kind of stuff? Like mm. that provides some additional value. I had this debate with. Um, uh, Sean Holly. Um, oh, really? Uh, yeah. About. Did you know? I was on. Uh, I was on Under the Sticks. This is actually a different podcast than one I was mentioning earlier. But <laughs> we talked about that, and not sure he understood my point. But uh, yeah, I was quite. I was quite keen to suggest that we don't necessarily need more stats. We just need better stats. Yeah, we, we need have. the right yeah. stats. That's fair. I'm very much on your team there, Sam. Don't worry. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm not taking a side for professional reasons. Um, <laughs> moving along. I don't have to be professional. I've got one other thing noted down. that There's a really fascinating scrum in the first half where um, basically both... And it's just I think you just get a good camera angle. I could see this happening at other scrums. Where, but this, the camera's right on the spot. It's right in the touchline. Where Tonga clearly going, and it, I've got written down in my notes, I wish I was David Flatman so I understood what was going on. <laughs> um, because it's 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 a fascinating scrum because you can clearly tell both sides are going with completely different techniques. Yeah. And the scrum ends up kind of 
both sides fold up because both are applying equal amount of force in completely different ways. So Tong are being very direct and like traditional and kind of smashing forward. And Japan are going in with that kind of low body position, like the sort of sumo style and trying to force up and chase round. I'm sounding like I know what a scrum is. We have three backs on this podcast and we're talking about (laughs) scrums. But yeah, no, I I found it fascinating and I just wanted to understand it. (laughs) It's like it's like how I felt about Tenet yesterday when I saw it. It's fascinating, wish I understood it. Yeah. (laughs) I feel that like that about quite a few Cusvignolan films. Yeah. Oh I Go on. Now that we, I was just saying, now we have the technology. I just, I would just want every scrum to be filmed from like the spider cam <laughs> angle, yeah, downwards looking at what's going on. Because I just think you can tell so much more from that than side on, where you can only really see well, what two people are doing. You've either got to be exactly side on or spider cam. I think. Yeah. I think it's either like you remember that scrum between. And I talk about this all the time between England and Argentina a few years ago where yeah. the scrum was so solid and both teams were really going at it and it just didn't move. Yeah. And it went on for like 20 seconds of just the scrum being perfectly stationary, but it was the most fascinating moment of rugby. I would propose instead we have a grass cam, so it's from beneath the scrum. that There's a camera just permanently stationed there in the tunnel on the grass. Yes. I like it. I like I it. Uh, do you know who could who could provide it in the grass? Go on. Maui, the demigod. <laughs> I was thinking you could get it run in the same way when Ruckley went under the Twickenham turf. <laughs> he could run it like that and he could have the camera. So yes. I reckon someone should hire Ruckley for some extra work on the side. <laughs> I mean, England aren't using him right now. No. They, the RFU, actually, I was looking at this the other day, they've removed the Ruckley page from their website. Have they? Yeah. Ruckley's, was Ruckley's it been after your email to Sunrise Productions? <laughs> This is now a post cross pod thing, yeah, and also a post crod thing, uh, which is a which is a crossword sentence. Yeah, no, I emailed Sunrise Productions, who are the company that that, that made the Ruckley short video. I emailed them live whilst recording episodes of Blood and Mud the other week. Uh, that I was a guest on. Yes, uh, they never got back to me. Oh, if anyone wants closure on that? They never replied. But yeah. never mind. It's a real shame. It's a real shame. Yeah. I think instead we should go a bit higher and ask Disney Animation Studios to make a sequel <laughs> to Moana about Fetty Vanicola. Yeah. And there's got to be a character called Poscrad. Here's, here's a question for you. This is, this is, I haven't asked about this yet. Uh, okay. So I'm, I'm jumping the ship. Uh, jumping the, jumping the ship. Is that a word? Jumping the gun. Jumping the gun. Yeah. I don't know what jumping the ship would mean, but. Um, jumping the but shark. Jumping the gun. Jump, yeah. Jumping is it? all sorts of things. Brian Moore has recently started cycling. Okay. Is it an interesting article to go for a bike ride with Brian Moore and interview him about his lovely life? I think so. I'd, I'd watch, I'm listen to, that. read that. Yeah. yeah I'm quite, I think I'm... you should ask if Dmitry Strakov's available to come with you as well. <laughs> there would be a there'd be a complication there, wouldn't it, where whoever publishes this... It'd be like, okay, I can understand why you're speaking to Brian Moore. <laughs> you even understand that it's a little bit niche why you would separately be speaking to Demetrius Strakov. Why are you speaking to them both? Which I wouldn't. Demetrius Strakov in conversation, don't yeah. <laughs> But yeah, okay. You, yeah, just get everyone that owns a bike together, and they can all have a little cycle around like the Peak District. That'd be lovely. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got two then. <laughs> We've, I mean, who else do you really need apart from Brian Morling to meet Strakov? Is this the official podcast social? Is that we're organizing everybody <laughs> who owns a bike, which me and Robbie don't? <laughs> yeah. 
to go and go for a nice cycle around the Peak District yeah. with Brian Moore and Dmitry Strakov. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't help but feel that Strakov would find it infuriating after a while to be, you know, hung around with me and Brian Moore uh, as we cycle the hills of the Peak District. <laughs> do you think, think like, do you think if he had another job that wasn't professional cyclist, he'd cycle to work? <laughs> Yeah, I wonder. I wonder because what happens often when professional cyclists get get fat is that mm. they, uh, oh, sorry, it's when they finish they get fat. Um, right. So maybe he just when he finishes, and bear in mind he's twenty five, so <laughs> well, he he maybe he'll just give up. Um, <laughs> can I just one thing I was just doing then uh, while well, I was also trying to speak to you, which I wasn't very good at. Um, was last time I mentioned Chad Plato or Yes, Plato, of course. Twitter. Yeah. Disappointingly, his numbers of followers haven't gone up as much as I'd have. Oh, man. No. They have doubled, I think, since before yes. the podcast went up, which is good. Yeah. He, he hasn't tweeted at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he has. <laughs> I actually haven't looked at this before, but he, he has won the fly. Like he hasn't got, he hasn't made any. This is brilliant. This is the best thing I've ever seen. He hasn't tweeted anything, mm-hmm. but he has won the play, which is, just, which is just a full stop. Who's <laughs> <laughs> he replying to? Replying to Sky Sports Premier League, and it's uh, the headline is: Has Loris Kallios done enough to persuade Liverpool <laughs> manager Jurgen Klopp to keep him at Anfield next season? And Chad Plato's just a spongy with. Just a full stop. Right, the challenge now is, everybody listen to this. Firstly, follow Chad Plato. And secondly, Please. create a thread of tweets just replying with another full stop uh, after Chad Plato's. Um, you know, you had a whole conversation about the best player in the world and neither of you mentioned Chad Plato. Who is who, the best player in the world? Sam, as you decided, as you worked out with actual stats, yeah. is was the best player in the World Cup last year. He was, he was. Uh, well, uh, from a winger perspective, if you ignore all jobs wingers have to do apart from just getting the ball and doing something productive. Yeah, I do. I ignore all I did when I played. I ignore all jobs now. <laughs> well then, yeah, he, he is the best in the world. I have also responded to his full stop with a full stop. Okay, I'll respond to yours now. patronising or not. Can we start like a chain of full That's what stopping? we're doing. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Okay. So I've just replied to yours now, Sam. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm seeing this in front of me. Um, okay. And I've I've also replied for full stop from Squid Rugby account. I've replied from the my the, the Squidgy Girl account. Please, God, Chad, please don't see this as patronising. It's it's purely <laughs> there done. will there will be people that follow all three of us who are really confused this right now. <laughs> this isn't going out for another week. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? Right, what? Chad Plato has gained. He had seven followers beforehand. Now he has eighteen. That's pretty good. I think this is pretty good. And I am checking now. All but no, he only had three followers before this. And now he's got eighteen. He's getting fifteen years older of us, right? Fourteen of those followers follow me. The only (laughs) one that doesn't is the Windhoek Golf and Country Club, where clearly he attends because that is his hometown. (laughs) So clearly it's his local golf club, right? And who seems to be someone related to him, someone else with the surname Plato. Don't, who also has never tweeted. Chandler Plato. Yeah. Uh, this is a fascinating rabbit hole. Going wow, he Chad follows Razzy Erasmus. He follows a bunch of people. Northampton Saints, London Irish. 
I'm genuinely quite surprised that Chad Plato hasn't signed for a professional team. Mm. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I, I I really hope that he connects the connects the dots <laughs> and finds out that we not only respect him but love him. And want... do you know what's happened? Do you always just wait? Line break rugby have just responded with a dot as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's already begun. <laughs> they don't even get the joke. <laughs> This is why they're marvellous. Yeah, we love them. That's phenomenal. I wonder how far this is going to go in a week before this goes up. <laughs> we've started. Um, we started a monster. Then yeah, I'm. I'm here for it. I also I'm here for for Chad Plato getting a professional contract in a yeah. convenient for TV watching. I was genuinely expecting Zebra or Treviso to sign him. Yeah. After how well he played against Italy and their history of signing, you know, the, the Monteuanis of the world. Yeah. You know, he fits that mould. But yeah. How go. many Twitter followers does he need? Yeah, sometimes people will say, like, will you go to my prom with me? And how many tweets do I need for that? How many tweets do, does Evelyn need before they sign Chad Plato? <laughs> this is our new priority with this podcast. It starts as a World Cup retrospective. It's now the Squid Rugby Get okay. Chad Plato Signed for Zebra if, podcast. If the um, the chain of Chad Plato full stop tweets gets to yeah. 25, he just plays for Zebra. He's, he has signed cool. for Zebra. Okay. If that's the case. Uh, I want to make the point, no one can do it more than once. Oh, no, 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 okay. no, no, no. That's cheating. Yeah. yeah. That's cheating actually it's, it would be disrespectful to him because he can get there by himself. He yeah, can get exactly. there by himself. Yeah. Um, but honestly, if he went to play for Zebra, no one would... He, he he would be a good player. No one would look at him and go, well, he's he's that place. So he'd be a very good player. They just need to give him the opportunity. He's a... Like, this is... This sounds like we're making fun of him. He's a genuinely no, pretty exceptional player. Very yeah, I, yeah. I want to make that really clear. You know, something like Lang Drangja, step aside. Actually, yeah. no, that, this makes it sound like I'm taking the piss. <laughs> but ignore that. Yeah. Chad Plato is a really good player. Chad Plato is the second best player to Billy Searle. Well, now that sounds like you're taking the piss. It does. Chad Plato but... is a very good rugby player. Yeah. Yeah. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Cool. Man of the match, dick of the day. Should we begin with dick of the day? Sure. Should I start? I was going to say, do you want to start? Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, one is Tupayali for many reasons mainly just dropping the ball on decent chances a few times. One is Isatola Maka for bringing off Felice at half-time when he's having a really good game. Mm. However, it has to go to Sean Webb for that ball going over his head and just not diving on it or anything like that. And also for stepping up to play fly-off and not being able to pass. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, Sean Webb's my dick of the day. Yeah, I, I, I feel like this is designed to have multiple answers, but it is Sean Webb, isn't it, really? <laughs> Same, yeah, Sean Webb, as you say, you've got, as well as you mentioned, Sam, the time he didn't put the ball out at half-time yeah. comes into play. You know, there's just so many contenders from that kind of 15-minute yeah. period just before half-time. And most of them are Sean Webb. Sean yeah. Webb, unanimous, unanimous. He is the second, I believe, oh no, yeah, third, sorry, third unanimous freeway dick of the day. Wow. After Anthony Fienga. Of course. And <laughs> Talisa the Bayer who was properly dreadful for tomorrow against Wales. Yeah. And man of the match? 
Man of the match, I think, might also be pretty one-sided as well. Felice is one player I had written down, then came off at half-time, mm. obviously came back on, but I don't think I can justify giving it to him. So, Despite being on the losing team, I just think Michael Leach worked his socks off. Yeah, I think, as you say, tackling was completely... He was all over the place, and the way he carried the ball was phenomenal. He was so good. It was a shade of what he was going on to become. Yeah, I... So I I totally agree. I will slightly throw a curveball. Nice, good. Yeah. Despite, we can't ruin everything. Yeah, despite um, despite only playing for seventy minutes, I was fully prepared coming into this game to think, Ugh, you know, Arledge is he's just a fine player, and but wait till Tamura comes along and fixes Japan. Um, but he was really good, and yeah. he made that. He made the first two elements of that backline tick, and yeah, I think. I, and also, like you mentioned earlier, how much Japan miss him when he goes off for that ten minutes? Kind of, yeah, kind of shows his his talent. There are now two fly halves with multiple man of the match nominations over the court. I have been keeping a spreadsheet of all of this. Yeah. These are James Arledge and Ander Monroe. Who had that one town? We'll see if this Andrew Monroe is. He was the Canada, Canada fly half, but we're not convinced um, he was he a fly looked, half. He looked like a kind of N sixty four character who just liked to smash himself into anything he saw, and also loved really aggressive drop goals. So obviously, I love him. I, he's completely. He went to the University of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, he has completely passed me by as a <laughs> international level player. But um, yeah. yeah. Good, good thing. <laughs> uh, my man of the match as well is Michael Leach. He was the official man of the match as well, and I can't, I can't see beyond him. I yeah. thought he was. I, I've got a point in my notes where I wrote down, and this is complete hyperbole. I don't stand by it. Is Michael Leach the best player I've ever seen? Yeah. After was... he chases the man down and then wins that turnover and scores a try moments later, it was kind of strange looking back after having watched the previous Japan games and going, "Oh wait, yeah. no, Michael Leach was world class the whole time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he went from... In my head, he was like, oh, he's this, you know, really good, hard-working player they had. And he then developed, and you went, oh, no, he's, he's improved so much, and he's become this world-class player. Yeah. Like, no, 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 he was the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he, he always was. was. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, Dick of the Day. Oh, no, we've done Dick of the Day. We've yeah, done we match. We've done both of them. Dick of the Day almost became me there. Yeah. Forgetting. <laughs> so... Does that bring us through the end? Have we done? Yeah. Have we made it? We've all gone for losing team Man of the Match. No, yeah, Man of the Matches, which is interesting. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, oh, go, on. Oh, go on. No, sorry. I was just because I like I like a losing man of the match. I just yeah. give it to. I, I also hate when they give it to hat trick uh, people or people who scored mm-hmm. two tries. Often when they either haven't done anything else or the tries were quite easy to get. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like that. Never mind. I was going to go down a whole rabbit hole about that. But yeah, Sam, is there anything you want to plug? Where can people find you on the internet and so on? You well, you can find me on Twitter at Sam L Stands Up, and nothing really to plug at the moment. It's a bit quiet with uh, with mm-hmm. you know rugby, uh, but you can you can actually find me in rugby world on the first of September. Go and buy it rather than looking in a on in it in a magazine in a magazine in a shop, and uh, you know email them and say this that was a great article. Um, <laughs> also email rugby world, and if you buy before the 1st September, and say, I think the article by Sam Lon is going to be great. And also, the guy in 50th on your poll of the most influential people in rugby is really underrated. 
Uh, mm. Razi Rasmus thinks he understands the game. I'm not very, sure very about funny. that. Yeah. Yeah, thanks again for coming on, Sam. Really enjoyed that. And also, I guess, as well, ever since you first came on, you've really helped us with sort of supporting podcasts and everything, and that's great. So thanks yeah, again well, for coming on. Well, that's my pleasure. I, I really enjoy what you what you both do, so thanks a lot for having me. Cheers. No, it's great to have oh. you back. It's Thank good you. insight and good humour, as always. So <laughs> cheers. Thanks. Well, thank you both for joining in. Thank you to everyone for listening. And what can I say except you're welcome. Bye. <laughs> God. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.